In the past couple of weeks, I have seen a few yellow street signs saying, dangerous intersection. While it's perfectly possible that I have seen them before in my life, it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago that I really noticed them and cataloged them in my memory. The first time I approached that intersection, laughed and said to myself, that sure is a dangerous intersection. I appreciated the succinct message and the real honesty of a sign proclaiming dangerous intersection. We encounter all sorts of signs in our lives, and I mean simply the literal ones. Street signs including street names and speed limits, open signs, arrows pointing us around office buildings and hospitals, church signs with clever slogans, neon signs pulling us in. Signs are so ubiquitous that it's easy to forget their significance. We read, follow, and use signs without thinking. Let's slow down a moment and think about the purpose of these signs. They capture our attention. They guide us on a path and give us direction. They tell us what to do or what to expect. It may seem a silly exercise to stop and think about the need for such a commonplace object in our lives, but I do think that it helps us to understand our gospel more clearly. John's gospel is unique in its language of signs. John intentionally uses the word sign to describe what other gospelers might call miracles. That's small, but it's significant. In our gospel passage today, we hear of the first of Jesus' signs. He and the disciples are invited to a wedding, and they see a serious faux pas. The wedding has run out of wine. At some prodding from Mother Mary, Jesus uses six jars of water intended for purification rituals, and he turns all the water into wine. <clears throat> the response is interesting to me. The servants who directly witness this sign take the wine to the steward. No one remarks at the water turning into wine. But instead, the steward takes the wine and in a sort of proverb says, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. There are no comments on that shift, but instead on the quality of the wine. This is one of those stories that has layers to it. There is, of course, Jesus responding to a material need. The partygoers are expecting more wine. Jesus offers a marker of abundance and joy. And not only does Jesus provide wine, he provides the best. Especially considering those who are in recovery or who abstain from alcohol for any reason, I want to be clear that this is about material provision, not wine specifically. It's about abundance. These same themes are what are present in the stories of Jesus sharing bread and fish and feeding thousands. Jesus is the source of abundance, 
and Jesus provides for the material needs of his people. Joy, abundance, and grace. Then there's also the prophetic side of this story. This one is perhaps an even bigger sign. Wine is flowing, and it's fine wine. Jesus' followers and John's early readers likely would have heard Isaiah in the background of this first sign. This is from Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Isaiah's prophetic declaration tells of a day when the shroud between heaven and earth will be destroyed. Death will be swallowed up forever and disgrace will be removed from the people. But first, there is a banquet of the finest meats and wines. The most glorious banquet we can ever imagine is the precursor to the destruction of sin and death. We can, of course, hear of the heavenly banquet in Isaiah, but we might see a small glimpse in John's telling of this wedding at Cana. Jesus turning water to wine and presenting the finest wine at this banquet is a sign of the miracles to come in his earthly ministry and a sign that he is the one to destroy the divides between God and humans. It's a sign that he will destroy death and sin. The events of the wedding at Cana are signs of a cosmological shift that is coming. The people present at that wedding might have anticipated the more immediate shifts that came with Jesus' ministry, his death, and resurrection. We hear those, but when we hear this sign, we also await the shifts that come with Jesus' return. Let's go back to thinking about literal signs and what they do for us. They point our attention towards something specific. They direct us and they let us know what to expect. Jesus' signs functioned in largely the same way. Signs call on our attention. Like a big neon sign, Jesus' sign of joy and abundance pulls us in and draws our attention. We are put on alert looking for more information. Who is this man, and what is he doing? We are alert for more signs ahead. John's simple words, the first of his signs, reminds us to pay attention. Signs direct and guide us. Here we might see a directive to live into the abundance of Christ. Jesus goes beyond material provision and offers the finest and best. He enhances our joys. Inherent in this provision is also grace. There is no criticism for unpreparedness or inaction on the part of the steward. 
Instead, Jesus simply provides. When we are guided to live into that sort of grace, into God's grace, we can offer grace to one another as well. When we are guided in God's love and held in that love, we can love one another without fear. And finally, signs tell us what to expect. The banquet with fine wines reminds us to expect the prophecies of Isaiah. We should expect the removal of boundaries that separate us from God. We should rejoice in life everlasting. We should anticipate the forgiveness of sins and the wiping away of tears. We get to expect something so much grander than we can imagine. At this particular moment in time, I think many of us are feeling or continuing to feel like we are running dry. Just like the wine at the wedding, our resources, our energy, our patience, and at times even our joy seems to be running out. That exhaustion, burnout, grief, and restlessness are all so very real. We can feel that, we can name that. It makes sense to feel like we are running out when the world around us is ever shifting and places huge demands on our physical, emotional, and spiritual energy. Simultaneously, we can rest in knowing that Jesus provides in the moments when we run out. Jesus sustains us. Jesus offers us the best we can imagine. Jesus' first sign is to turn water to wine. We might not expect that sort of transformation in our own lives, but we do have signs to remind us that we can hope for Jesus' provision and hope for the many gifts offered to us in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. There are some signs we might see in our lives. Maybe it's a conversation with a friend where you feel heard, understood, and seen. Maybe it's leaning into the ability to give when we have abundance and also learning to receive when we are in need. Maybe our day turns on a dime and we experience an unexpected small joy. There are signs around us that pull our attention to God, that guide us to live like Jesus, and remind us to expect joys unfathomable. Often our lives feel like a series of those yellow street signs saying, dangerous intersection. That might not be changing, but there are lots of signs on the roads and lots of signs in our lives. I wonder what it would mean to stumble upon, to actively look for, or even to create a yellow street sign proclaiming Christ-filled intersection ahead. Amen.